My name is Sean McCann. I'm conducting expert interviews on behalf of the European Haematology Association at the annual meeting of the American Society of Haematology, which this year is in Orlando in Florida. And with me I have Hamat Malhatsa, is that correct pronunciation, I hope? Yeah. And he is Professor of Medicine and Head of Medical Oncology at Sri Ram Cancer Centre in Jaipur, which is in Rajasthan, which of course is in Northwest India. You're very welcome and thank you for coming along. Thank you, Sean. Now, um, we're I should start by saying that we're going to talk about chronic myeloid leukemia. Um, the whole world's changed in the year 2000 with the advent of imatinib. And, yes. um, obviously, for people who have CML in Europe and North America, that changed everything. Yes. However, there are special problems <coughs> in countries for, which are huge populations and don't have a lot of resources. So let's talk about that in your, in your experience in India. Yeah. So, so that's exactly what we did at ASH this year. And the chairs of the educational program uh, had the foresight to you know, talk about some global issues related to chronic myeloid leukemia. Uh, in the more developed world, say in advanced countries of Europe and the U.S., uh, 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 seniors and juniors like trainees and consultants feel that the treatment of chronic myeloid leukemia is cut and dried, not very much left there. And in fact, there hasn't been an educational session on CML at ASH for several years. So I really, you know, want to thank the organizers of this year's ASH to include this session. I had the honor to chair the session and speak. So there are several issues with the management of chronic myeloid leukemia still remaining in the low and middle income countries or the underprivileged part of the world. Okay, let's talk about just diagnosis for a minute. I mean, how do you make that diagnosis in in India, outside specialist centers, yeah. so the, there's no change in the paradigm of the diagnosis. You have a patient who has high counts, has a large spleen. You get the usual CBC biochemistries done. Uh, you ask for uh, uh, cytogenetics on the marrow. You look for the Philadelphia chromosome. And you look for the BCR able transcripts right. in the peripheral blood biopsy. Would that be available in, in most hematology centers or...? So it is certainly available in uh, the advanced centers of the country, and I have no you know, qualms in admitting that they are far and few, but there are several private labs and sending samples even from a relatively small city to one of these private labs is not very much of a big issue. They have collection centers in most uh, B and C categories uh, cities, if you so have it. So you should you get a get a report of a BCR able within a week's time. Okay. And uh, who controls these private laboratories? Are they controlled by the state or by the individual? So that's a good question, Sean. They are entirely for profit laboratories, and you know, uh, some of us, some of some of the times we have issues with uh, you know making sure that right. their their quality is good. I remember a time just. 10 years back when I used to get a report from some, so to say, leading private labs, BCR able, 70.4%, that's it. Yeah. But now we've wisened up and our colleagues have wisened up. We make sure that they mention whether it is a major transcript or a minor transcript, whether it is done on the international scale or not, right. and how many copies and what control genes have been used. So now we insist 
then we get a report like that. So, and do you, are you successful? <laughs> yes, we are. So, so, you know, there is competition in the private labs also. Right. So if lab A doesn't give me all these parameters, I move to lab B. So they fall in line pretty quickly. Okay. So the population of India now is, does anybody know what it is? <laughs> <laughs> so so we, are, we are in the middle of our latest census, which happens right. every 10 years. And we expect that the population will be about 1.4 billion. Okay. So the city where I live, Jaipur, it has a population of 60 or 70 million. So Gosh. which is which is like uh, more than the population, just my city of several countries of the world. Yeah, so where I come from, the population is 4 million yeah. in the, in the there, whole country. There, there you go. Yeah. So, so there are several issues which this raises. Okay. And, uh, you know, 70% uh, uh, of patients in India, uh, they don't have any uh, insurance. And uh, social medicine in India is developing. We have several schemes and, uh, you know, modalities now, but still 70% is out-of-pocket payment. And uh, getting the test done, which costs about $100 in India, the BCR able the molecular test, is a challenge That's for a lot of money, patients. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. So what percentage of patients do you think get correctly diagnosed? Uh, I would say that... Uh, Maybe 75%. Right. And I, I would like to highlight a peculiar problem which is beginning to happen in India because of the very free availability of generic imatinib and, and not very expensive generic imatinib. Peripheral physicians, of course, not the experts, not the specialists, just on the basis of a high count and a large spleen, without looking at the pH chromosome, without asking for a BCR able, let alone three monthly or six monthly monitoring just on a high TC and a massive spleen they are starting imatinib okay. and we are beginning to get patients once in a while who do not have CML who have the other myeloproliferative neoplasm. It's a bad idea isn't it? Yes, yeah, we yeah. Should, we so, should so all, it's not very frequent but it is beginning to happen and we really don't like it. Right. Just as a matter of interest is, are, are there differences in different parts of India in access to good medical care? Uh, is it better in the north and the south? Or? So, so there is a peculiar thing in India. The health is not uh, the center's prerogative. The health is the state's prerogative. Okay. And we have 30 plus states in India. Yes. Each state has its own health policies. And uh, the care and the availability of tyrosine kinase inhibitors may vary from state to state. Okay. But I have no hesitation in saying that things are moving in the right direction. And in my state, state of Rajasthan, we have imatinib in the essential drug list. Okay. So we, in Rajasthan at least, follow the WHO essential drug list. And uh, the imatinib is available, is supposed to be available in most government hospitals without charge. Without charge? Yes. So that's, that's irrespective of your own income. I mean, anybody... That's right. Anybody can walk into a government hospital and have access to imatinib. You know, it does happen uh, maybe more frequently than it should that the drug is out of stock or, or uh, the government procures the cheapest possible drug. There's some question marks about the quality. Okay. But uh, uh, this is a huge step in the forward direction that... Uh, possibly in the next few years, there will be no patient of CML who will not have access to at least imatinib. Right. Now, let's just talk about generic uh, TKIs. Yes. I mean, obviously, there was a huge impetus because yes. of the costs. Yeah. So where, where, 
Where are we now with that? So we've been ha we have generics uh, in India for the last 15, 20 years. I think in early 2000s, uh, the generics made their mark. And most of us believe that there are uh, several Indian companies, at least four or five Indian companies, which really make good imatinib, standard imatinib, which right. we can trust. And there are at least five publications in the world literature in which we have compared the generic to the innovator, and we find no difference right. either in the clinical response or in the cytogenetic response or in the molecular response. In right. fact, I've published from my group uh, blood levels compared, generic blood levels, imatinib trough levels, generic versus innovator, and we don't see any statistically no. significant difference. And uh, who controls the generic uh, companies? I mean, are they controlled centrally, or is there an agency which controls them? So they're uh, controlled uh, by a central government agency, which is known as the uh, DCGI, Drug Control, uh, Drug Controller General of India. Right. Now it is known as the CDESCO. The central drug uh, agency okay. and uh, I sit on several committees of, uh, of that organization and their appraisal is pretty rigorous and you know I'm reasonably confident that whatever is approved in the Indian market does go through the due stringent, diligence right. stringent okay. controls okay. and it is of uh, like uh, very acceptable quality. Right. I mean the other problem, not a problem I guess, but with CML is that very few people die anymore. So I mean, you keep you yeah. keep adding to the numbers yeah. of patients. So that yeah. must be a yeah. a huge issue in the country. In a, so the, the population of over yeah. a billion people. So the yeah. prevalence of CML in India is expected to increase like nobody's business. And you know, us experts, we are concerned that we will have to make arrangements to take care of these patients, uh, like not only arrange drug for them, but also arrange monitoring for them. And that is a, one of our top concerns. Another issue is that there are few, too few medical oncologists and hematologists to take care of this huge number, which is going to confront us. And we, as a group, have started to teach and train our physicians right. as to how to accurately diagnose and how to, you know, manage these. A things. difficult job. <laughs> it's a yeah, tough job. But we have an Indian CML study group. Right. And one of our top agendas is to educate the physicians of the country as to the right management of CMO okay. patients. Well, I, w I wish you good luck. Thank now, the other, um, I guess, problem which we never anticipated, at least in, we're talking about in Europe now, North America, is compliance. People who just, after a year or two, don't bother. Is that a, a concern? Absolutely. Or you live? Absolutely. You know, uh, some we have some studies from India which say that the non-compliance could be as high as 40%. And the reason for this is, number one, that they, they feel so good. Exactly, they, yes. They don't want to take the medicine. They think it's not essential. Yeah. And the other reason is that they don't like the toxicities and the myelias which the drug produces. Yes. And as soon as I see a patient who's not doing good on imatinib or who was doing good and he's starting to lose his molecular response like a log here and there, the first thing I do is I sit down, not with the patient, but with the patient's family. Is he taking the medicine? Right. And believe me, you're not 30 or 40% of the time they come up, oh, once in a while he misses the medicine. They confess. Yeah. They confess. <laughs> and then they say, he didn't take it for seven days last month. Right. And I think this is a really low-hanging fruit if you want to succeed yeah. in a developing country. Yeah. Every time you see the patient, which is anything between a monthly to three monthly, you must must insist that please take your medicine carefully. Come what happens, uh, come hell, high water, 
you must take the medicine. Then I, you know, like to convey that if you miss more than two pills a month, then you will have you will impact on your BCR level, and I will know. <laughs> so, so that well, really is but important. look, it's a problem everywhere, not just in, yeah. in developing countries. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge. It's yeah. a bit like hypertension. Yeah. Um, I mean, my mother, when she was alive, she yeah. would. Uh, she said, well, my blood pressure is normal. I said, that's yeah. because you're taking your tablets. Yeah. So it's, yeah. the same, yeah. it's the same phenomenon. But I, I really believe that it's a low-hanging fruit which <laughs> we should go after. And, you know, it's easy to convince them if you repeat the message often enough. Right. Okay. Okay, well, listen, thank you very much indeed. Are there any other issues that you think are peculiar to developing countries uh, so in this disease? Yeah, I think one more issue is that uh, the adequate monitoring of the disease is difficult to do. And that is primarily because of economic reasons. Right. And uh, number three, like for the unfortunate patient who doesn't do well on imatinib, there's a big problem there sure. because you can't do the kinase domain mutational analysis. It costs a bomb. Yeah. And then even if you do it, uh, arranging a second generation TKI, we, we don't have generics for nilotinib. Which is very expensive. Yeah. It's very expensive. So that, again, is an issue. Yeah. And I wish the international community would help out there. Right. Like we have some support programs for the first generation medications for imatinib. We wish there were some support programs for desaturated nilotinib. That I, I suppose that the last question is, I mean, allogeneic transplant. I used to be a transplant, I presume is not practiced very much anymore so, for this disease. Yeah, so you have, we have in India now 87 registered transplant centers. So, so high volume transplant centers with a lot of expertise are available, but transplant for CML is a very, very small minority. Again, because it is not indicated, it's pushed to third line, fourth line, yeah. and then uh, affordability is a huge issue. Well, look, thank you very much for sharing your th thank you, thoughts and difficulties. Thank you, Sean. So for you young investigators, you can see there are some problems which are very common in so-called developed countries like compliance, and then there is access to treatment in developing countries and the development of generic drugs. But we need second and third generation generic TKIs. Mm -hmm.